Welcome to another Lost Ladies of Lit mini episode. I'm Amy Helms here with my co-host, Kim Askew. And Kim, with a four-year-old at home, I know you are probably pretty knee-deep in children's books over at your house. Um, Her bookshelf looks like my nightstand, and you know what that means. Oh, yeah. It's a disaster. She is your daughter. Yeah. She is. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) Are there any favorites in her rotation? Uh, There's one called Me and Mama that we really love. The author is named Cosby something or other. She's amazing. It's really wonderful. Um, We love all the Margaret Wise Brown books. I just ordered a few more, in fact, because I'm afraid she's going to get too old for them. So I want to get them all now while she's young enough to still enjoy them. But we love like Fur Family and Goodnight Moon and Good Day, Good Night. I mean, basically anything she does is magic. Yeah, I know. I feel really lucky because my kids are older now, 11 and almost 14. Can't believe it. I feel lucky that I've been able to read to them for as long as I have. Jack, the younger one, he still likes me to read to him at night. We just started The Westing Game by Ellen Raskin. It won the Newbery Medal. I had never read it before. um, So I'm kind of into it. What's that? Was it from? Like, when was it published? Is it an old book? Oh, yeah, it's an old. I remember the title when I was a kid. I feel like I've heard of it. It's kind of almost like an escape room kind of mystery. You have to solve who murdered somebody. But anyway, okay. so like it's fun because we're actually getting to read more novel novels. Yeah, you know? yeah. So we did. Um, it doesn't have to have pictures anymore. Yeah. So we did S.E. Hinton's The Outsiders, which Love. was great. We also did The Lord of the Flies, which was dark. I wasn't sure if that was going to be okay for him, but he seemed into it. Um, We did Jules Verne's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. How fun. What's funny, though, is that Julia, even though she's older, she acts like she's too cool to Mm -hmm. be read to. But sometimes she'll sneak into Jack's bedroom and listen while I'm reading. And I just try not to acknowledge her, you know, Mm -hmm. because I don't want to say anything because otherwise she will scamper away. And then also our dog, Sunny, she'll be (gasps) like fully passed out in her crate at night uh-huh. and then I'll say Sonny you want to go read with us and she gets all excited and she comes downstairs and she likes to be read to too. it's a family affair yeah and that reminds me also did I ever tell you my Harry Potter the story about Harry Potter and the chickens I don't think so I think I would remember that if you don't think about what happened yeah speaking of animals enjoying or not enjoying in this case getting read to We had stayed on vacation at a farm in Texas a few years ago, and it was when we were reading Harry Potter, and I was reading it aloud to the kids. Uh So we had all these chickens right outside our door, and in the morning, you'd go get eggs from the chicken coop and everything, and there were roosters and stuff. And so we'd sit outside, and I'd read Harry Potter, and this one rooster just kept interrupting. It would be in the early evening or whatever. Uh It wasn't the morning. It was as if he was getting like super annoyed that I was reading and he just kept (laughs) crowing. So the more you read, the louder he crowed. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't a JK Rowling fan. (laughs) No, clearly. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah. So, you know, also that I have been volunteering at the library at Jack's school, right? I love that. Yes. That is so cool. 
I went from being the art mom, which was a frustrating experience. Yeah. This is more your speed. <laughs> yeah, it's much more my speed. It took me back to my high school years working at the public library. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so at Jack's school, I mostly reshelved the books. And then, of course, you can't help but browse, right? And that kind of brings us to the topic of today's episode. So a few months ago, I was glancing at the shelves at his school and I saw Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which was a movie that I loved. I still can sing the theme song. Do you want to hear it? Yes. All right, here we go. Oh, you pretty chitty bang bang, chitty chitty bang bang, we love you. And in chitty chitty bang bang, chitty chitty bang bang, what we'll do. I love chitty chitty bang bang, chitty chitty till the end. Bang bang, chitty chitty bang bang, our fine four fendered friend. Bang bang, chitty chitty bang bang. (laughs) Okay, all right. Yeah, it was going on a little too long, but. (laughs) Needless to say, I love the movie. The songs are all so good from that movie. But anyway, I definitely did not know that Ian Fleming of James Bond fame was the author. Yeah, that's crazy. I did not know that either. I know. The one where the car flies, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I totally remember that it's movie. Boat, it's all a the plane. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He wrote Van Dyke. What? That's yeah. crazy. Oh my gosh. So I'm standing there. I'm like, wait, Ian Fleming. And I even said to the school librarian, did you know this? And she's like, yeah, it's pretty wild, right? So according to Wikipedia, Fleming wrote the book for his son, Casper. It was published in three volumes. Wow. Who knew? The first of which came out in 1964. And here's more intel that will blow your mind. Roald Dahl helped write this 1968 film adaptation. And the guy who produced the James Bond films also produced Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which you would just never put those things together. No, but then when you think about how weird that movie actually is, it does sort of track. I mean, definitely yeah, the, point. the Roald Dahl edition sort of starts to make sense, too. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, I would never have thought the guy that came up with James Bond would also be the same guy who wrote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, for sure. No, no, that is very strange. Um, And then a side note to listeners, Ian Fleming was a former lover of Rosamund Lehman. She was one of our previous Lost Ladies. She wrote the book that I really love, Dusty Answer. You can go back and listen to that episode. But apparently the affair ended by Fleming flinging a live squid at her. So it just got weirder, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> According to the woman who wrote the biography of Rosamund Lehman, Selena Hastings, she was pissed off because he had mistakenly double booked both her and his wife at their vacation house in Jamaica, which how stupid can you get? Uh-oh. Okay. There's some problems going on there. If, it's, yeah. if you can like get that mixed up. Yeah. Rosamund Lehman recalled that Fleming's wife was, quote, unbelievably rude to me. It's like, well, <laughs> you are his mistress. Yeah. What do you expect? But I mean, I think about tossing a squid at someone. Like, is that going to smooth things over? <laughs> I know. If it lands in your face or your hair, it's like... Never forgiven. Anyway, that's another one of our uh, tangents that we like to go on. So yeah, yeah. Sorry, not sorry for that. We'll get back to this subject. This whole Ian Fleming wrote 
chitty chitty bang bang blow my mind fact actually got me wondering what other unlikely connections I could find between children's books and authors that you wouldn't necessarily think of as writing kids books. So I was trying to come up with some other examples like this, and I couldn't think of any per se, but then I found a Mental Floss article by Lucas Riley, and it highlighted a few more examples. So I thought I would share a few. All right. I can't wait to hear them. I wonder if I'll know any of them. Yeah, we'll see. Okay. The first is by Upton Sinclair. I wouldn't have pegged the muckraking author who exposed all the horrors of the Chicago meatpacking industry in the jungle as a guy who could just turn on a dime and write a kid's book. But the book was called The Gnome Mobile, A Nice New Narrative with Nonsense But Nothing Naughty. And all those, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, all those N sounding words are actually spelled with a G N to match gnome. Oh, of course. Naturally. Yeah. As one would do. (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah. That book came out in 1936. And the Gnome Mobile, if you Google the cover of this book, it's giving me some major Chitty Chitty Bang Bang vibes. It was made into a Disney movie in 1967 with the same adorable kids who were in Mary Poppins. How do we not know this movie? I don't know. This is blowing my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here's the plot of... The No Mobile by Upton <laughs> Sinclair. <laughs> Quote, an amusing tale of two gnomes, Glogo and Bobo, who travel to America in the company of two human friends in their custom gnome mobile. <laughs> so apparently the book has an ecological message because the gnomes don't trust the quote unquote big people who are cutting down their forest home. Ooh, that's 1936. That's pretty good. That's before the Lorax. Yeah, Yeah. it was an anti-pollution, anti-industrialization tale. And listeners, the last I checked, you could get this book on Kindle for 99 cents. And I think I might need to read this one to Jack just for kicks because I'm kind of curious. Oh, yeah. And I need your report back on this. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I will. Let me know if it's something for Cleo one day when she's a little older. Yes. I will report back in our Facebook forum where we give all our extra little info. Oh yeah. That's the perfect place. Everybody needs to come over and find us there. Yeah. We're having fun there. We'll be talking about the gnome mobile and I'll put up a picture of the cover. Okay. So moving on to our next unlikely children's author, James Joyce. Were you aware that he wrote any kids books? Nope. I am not aware (laughs) of this. Okay. Tell me more. Um, He wrote a few stories for his grandson, Stephen. Stephen seems like a natural name for his grandson, right? Oh, yeah. Of Um, course. For his grandson, Stephen, in 1936, which were later published posthumously. One is called The Cat and the Devil. And the premise of this book is that a mayor asks the devil to build a bridge for the town. And the devil agrees that he will under the condition that he gets to own the soul of the first one to cross the bridge. So when the bridge Mm. is completed, the mayor outsmarts the devil by tossing a cat across the bridge. So then the devil winds up having a pet cat instead of having (laughs) taken someone's soul. And then he also wrote another cat book called The Cats of Copenhagen. And I saw that the words strange and subversive were used in one of the reviews of it. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, It also is making me think of T.S. Eliot's book about cats, right? What's the title of that one? Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats is the one Eliot wrote. 
Okay, so listeners, go listen to our mini episode on cats if you haven't yet. We have some opinions on the musical cats. That's episode number 64. So if you love cats, I think Amy does sing in that episode too. So if you if you like cats and Amy singing, <laughs> we'll want to listen to that episode. What other unlikely children's authors did you find in this Mental Floss article? Aldous Huxley. Okay, another one you wouldn't expect. Let's hear about it. Okay, so he is, you know, Aldous Huxley of Brave New World, dystopian fame. He wrote this book for his niece called The Crows of Pear Blossom. Ooh, I like the title. All right, well, hold hold on. I'm not sure once you hear the gist of the story. Um, Like Joyce's books, this one was published posthumously. It's about Mr. and Mrs. Crow, who are dismayed that their neighbor, Mr. Snake, always steals and eats their eggs. So they decide to leave him some fake eggs in their nest. He eats them. He suffers an excruciating stomach ache, so painful that he actually twists himself around the tree branches until he's tied up in knots. And then I think he dies. Okay, so uplifting. Yeah, it made me think of that Instagram account, Sad Beige Clothing for Sad Beige Children. Do you know that? <laughs> yes, totally. Yeah. Oh, my God. Herzog. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. And actually, this um, Aldous Huxley children's book has a beige cover, so it's perfect. Maybe we should send this to her as a yeah a, a, an inspiration. Yeah. Okay. Um, I got one more. You got to end with Ernest Hemingway, right? <laughs> oh, he's got to be in there. When you mention these other names, it's, yeah. it's kind of makes sense, even though I never would have guessed that. Yeah, but only he could find a way to turn his fascination with blood sports, like <laughs> hunting and bullfighting, into charming tales for children. Of course he did. Was it for a relative as well? <laughs> Do I even want to know? <laughs> Not quite. It was for the young son of a lady friend of his Ooh, in Italy. Okay. Um, she had challenged him to create a story for her young, either her son or her nephew. I wasn't clear on that when I was looking it up, but he did. Uh, and these fables eventually appeared in a 1951 issue of Holiday Magazine. So the first story he wrote is called The Good Lion, which is about a winged pasta-eating lion from Venice who hangs out at Harry's bar. (laughs) And then he decides to take a trip to Africa. But when he meets the other lions in Africa, they tease him for being so different. This is appropriate for children, right? absolutely. Um, So Hemingway writes that the winged lion from Venice, he simply flies away from the bullies instead of engaging with them. Adios, he said, for he spoke beautiful Spanish, being a lion of culture. That's kind of cute. I like that. Yeah. So this lion liked to drink Negronis or Americanos instead of the blood of Hindu traders, like <laughs> the other lions oh, from oh, Africa. Oh, no. <laughs> Hemingway's words, not mine. They wind up calling this poor lion son of a griffin instead of <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love it. Of course, by the end of the story, the good lion is back in Venice at Harry's bar, and he finds himself actually hankering for the blood of Hindu traders <laughs> while he's there. Travel has actually changed him, and he asks the bartender at Harry's if they have it in stock. <laughs> so, <laughs> there you go. 
Um, okay. So I, I think it's pretty classic. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Um, his other story is titled The Faithful Bull. And it's actually a parody of the story of Ferdinand, if you know that children's book. Oh, yeah. About okay. the bull Ferdinand. But what does he do with it? So Hemingway starts it off saying, one time there was a bull and his name was not Ferdinand and he cared nothing for flowers. Mm. He loved to fight and he fought with all the other bulls of his own age or any age. And he was a champion. Okay. This sounds like Hemingway. Yeah. Yeah. So this bull in Hemingway's tale ends up dying nobly in Papa's eyes. Anyway, he is killed by a matador in a bullfighting match. Okay, well, it's a little violent, but so are fairy tales. Maybe not ready for Cleo. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not primetime ready, not bedtime ready. (laughs) Although I will say, I feel like these two are children's stories in quotations. Okay. I mean, Holiday Magazine was not a children's magazine. Mm -hmm. And I think The Faithful Bull is kind of his F.U to the author of the story of Ferdinand, because that book was published right after the outbreak of the Spanish Civil War and was seen by some as promoting pacifism. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, that makes sense. That absolutely makes sense why he would parody that and Mm -hmm. have some fun with that. Yep. Listeners, the Mental Floss article I referenced in this episode, it features eight other authors who you might not anticipate would have written for kids. I just chose a few of the ones I thought were best. So we'll link to that article in our show notes so you can find out who some of the others were. I think Cleo might be traumatized by some of these books we talked about today. So I might just stick with some of the time-worn classics for now anyway, but maybe I'll go read them for myself. So that's all for today's episode. Thanks for supporting us and consider doing so more publicly by recommending us to a friend or leaving us a five-star review wherever you listen. We love those reviews. Yeah, it means so much. Our theme song was written and performed by Jenny Malone and our logo was designed by Harriet Grant. Lost Ladies of Lit is produced by Amy Helms and Kim Askew. 